Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts the Apostles, Acts chapter 19, and this will be broadcast number 45, which of course means this is week 45. Uh, my goal initially was to have this entire book done within 12 months, being 52 weeks, of course. Well, I'm not going to make that goal. I'm not going to reach that target. That's okay. It's always good to give yourself goals and targets, but what uh, I'm going to try and do today is conclude Acts chapter 19, and then hopefully, Lord willing, next week, uh, go to Acts chapter 20. But uh, last week, we ended in verse 15 from Acts 19, and the word of God tells us, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? Now, if you're born again, the devil knows you. And that's a good thing, and that's also a negative thing. But here you've got a group of individuals who are trying to cast out a devil from an individual. And this group of individuals are not Christians, they're not saved. And therefore, what they're going to do is going to come back and bite them. Look at verse 16, please. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Overcame them, prevailed against them, naked and wounded. When you mess with the devil, he will mess with you. And if you mess with unclean spirits, they will mess with you. Keep your hand in Acts 19 and go to Job. Job is the oldest book in the Bible, written by Moses. And in Job chapter 1, there's an account of the devil uh, afflicting the family of Job. I'll get there in a moment. And the Lord gives Satan permission to attack Job. And when the Lord gives the devil permission to attack you, you better hold on firm. Job chapter 1, let's uh, look at verse 13, please. Job 1, verse 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the asses feeding beside them. And the savings fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. To tell thee, excuse me. He got a picture of the devil using people to attack Job's family. Keep that thought in mind. 16. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now the devil has used nature to attack Job's family. But to be precise, he's used fire. 17. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and had carried them away. Yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. He's gone back to using people again. 19. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. He's gone back to using nature. Now very briefly, the devil has been allowed by the Lord God to attack Job's family. He starts by using people, 15. Then he goes on to using nature, uh, being fire, from 16. Then he goes back to using people, 17. And he concludes by using wind. You've got fire, wind, and people, which the devil has been able to use to destroy Job's children and his livestock. Jump over to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2, look at verse 7, please. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils. 
from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Now the devil has physically attacked Job. And this has resulted in Job suffering great pain. So as I say, the devil comes at you, you better hold on firm. Because he can destroy you. And here he has taken the greatest man in the east, a man called Job, and he's destroyed him. And yet Job is still standing. He's lost his sons and his daughters. He's lost all of his livestock. And his wife starts to come out with stupid statements. But what is quite remarkable is, although he's lost 10 children and... I think 11,000 uh, livestock for memory. He holds firm. Now very briefly before we get back to Acts 19. Job was a self-righteous man. But the point I'm trying to make is this. That the Lord will allow you to be afflicted. He will allow you to be hit left, right and centre. And here he's come up against Job. One last time he's used people. He's used fire and wind and people again. Four attacks. Four different individuals. Four different uh parts of the attack and poor old Job has been struck with boils chapter 2 verse 7 from the sole of his foot unto his crown jump over to 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 I think it's important to show you these verses to uh, further highlight the teaching from Acts 19 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse I think it's verse 7 when I get there. 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12. Yes, verse 7, please. Paul speaking. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. What is he saying? He's saying this, that to stop him from being puffed up, to stop him from having a big ego, the Lord sent the devil to buffet him. And here Paul, righteous internally and also externally. And yet that doesn't make Paul immune from the devil's attack. 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Paul is begging the Lord to take this thorn out from his flesh. And I think very quickly it is probably concerning his eyesight. I've heard all sorts of wild theories and speculations about this thorn in the flesh of the Apostle Paul. But very brief, I think it was his eyesight. He was practically blind before he died. Verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly therefore will I rather rejoice, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. He's quite happy to put up with this thorn in his flesh. He doesn't... Uh, sidestep it he's honest enough to tell you that he wanted to be delivered from it but the Lord says no Paul my grace nine is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness go back to Acts 19 so if you're saved he the devil will come at you if you're washed in the blood he will attack you he will afflict you and sometimes you won't know what's happening to you I remember listening to a sermon some years ago by a well-known preacher who's gone home to be with the Lord and he said many times the devil and the Lord works so close together that you can't tell them apart. And that's very true. Look at Job. He's been afflicted by the devil. He probably thought his world was about to end. And yet behind the devil was the Lord. Through the Lord's permissive will, Satan was allowed to destroy Job. A righteous man externally, but internally unrighteous. Internally self-righteous. Paul the Apostle, the greatest man that ever lived, 
internally and externally righteous, redeemed, washed in the blood. And yet the devil was sent to buffet Paul. So watch out if you're born again. But here, back to Acts 19, please, verse 16, it says, How the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. To be naked in this dispensation, on the one hand, is quite normal. It's thought of as being nothing to uh, question. But in the word of God, nakedness pictures your sin. It pictures your shame. It pictures you being in disgrace. And they are wounded. In fact, you were told in the book of, uh, book of Jude, when Michael the archangel is contending with Lucifer over the body of Moses, Michael says, the Lord rebuke thee. He doesn't even bring a rallying accusation against the devil. And yet I hear Christians today saying, I bind you, Satan. I bind you, unclean spirits. I bind you here. I bind you there. And yet, how could it be possible that an archangel doesn't have the audacity or the authority or the good sense to mess with the devil? He says, the Lord rebuke thee. So here you get a group of unsaved exorcists trying to cast out an unclean spirit and that spirit comes on them wounds them and they flee the house naked humiliating look at verse 17 please and this was known to all the jews and greeks also dwelling at ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the lord jesus was magnified fear fell on them all that was found back in chapter 2 and also chapter 4 and i used that term when we're looking at chapter 2 and 4 leading to my hypothesis from chapter 5 concerning Ananias and Sapphira. A couple, I believe, were saved, and I put the case forward then that I don't think people would join an organization known as the early church uh, just for an experience. I think they were saved, but they were carnal, and they fell as a result of their sin. But it says how all the Jews and the Greeks, also dwelling at Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, witnessed what was happening, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. That's the whole point of being a Christian, to magnify the Lord Jesus. It's all about him, not us. What does John say? He, Jesus, must increase. I, John, must decrease. That's a picture they are putting off the old man, putting on the new man. That's a picture of denying the flesh and being consecrated to the Lord. Look at 18, please. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Confession primarily is to God not to man. In Matthew chapter 3, when John was baptizing people, it says how they came confessing their sins. But they weren't confessing their sins to John the Baptist, they were confessing their sins to God, which is what James 5 is all about. And we refer to that as justification in the sight of God. A sinner believes the gospel, and he confesses his or her sins to the Lord. The Lord sees your heart, and that's what saves you. You believe on the Lord, and you confess your sins to him. Look at verse 19. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. That's justification in the sight of man. This is true heartfelt repentance. 50,000 pieces of silver. A small fortune. You've got people here that have been converted. You've got people here that have brought their books together. A public burning like you saw back in the 1930s when the Nazis were burning books. But here, this is going to result in salvation. And they burn them before all men. And they count the costs, as I say, to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So, 
18 points to justification in the sight of God, compared to verse 19, demonstrating justification in the sight of man. James 2 speaks about your works being witnessed by others, whereas Romans chapter 4 speaks about your works being seen by the Lord. But no time to further expound that this morning. Look at 20, please. So mighty grew the word of God and prevailed. This public reformation of sinners has been witnessed, and that's a great thing to read this morning. We could do with that today. Many people get saved, join a local church, you never see them again. But here you've got people ashamed of their sins, ashamed of their past, and because they have publicly burnt their books, the word of God has prevailed. And it's resulting in more people being saved, no doubt. Look at 21, please. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Rome, the Babylon of the world. Rome, they call it the eternal city, which is incorrect. Jerusalem is the eternal city. Rome was built on pagan deities, pagan gods, wickedness, of course. And over the centuries, it has evolved into Roman Catholicism. But he knows, Paul, that if he can make it in Rome, he can make it anywhere. He's got to get to Rome to get the word of God out further afield. See, he was a man with a mission. He wasn't sitting around writing books or biographies or encyclopedias. He was doing something for the Lord. And I think we can take great uh, application from his ministry. We don't have the sign gifts that Paul had. And I may have time to speak about that later. But we can certainly take his zeal and his drive and apply it to our own lives. 22, please. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, for himself stayed in Asia for a season. That's the Middle East today. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Dinah, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. That word craft, you think of witchcraft, you think of the craft, Freemasonry. But of course here the context is concerning the creation of idols. Images, statues, as we call them today. There's big money in statues and idols, you know, in organized religion. There's much money. It's big business. And here you've got a man called Demetrius, a silversmith. And he is very aware of what Paul the Apostle was achieving. Look at 26. Moreover, you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be said at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshippeth. This man would turn cities and towns upside down. That's a true picture of a, of a revival, incidentally. A true revival, in the word of God, is towns and cities being turned upside down, bars, clubs, nightclubs closing. And I don't think we're seeing that anywhere in the world today. But here Paul is like a whirlwind. He is preaching the gospel, not alone at Ephesus, 26, but almost throughout all Asia, Middle East, touching uh, Europe, of course. And he says something quite interesting to me. This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people. There's a picture of apologetics, but watch this. Saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Out goes the mass. Because the priest believes that when he, hold, when he holds the wafer in his hands, 
he can change the wafer into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is called transubstantiation. And according to this piece of scripture, that is impossible. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, let's hope so, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. There's a picture of Mary worship. And a magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia, whom all of the Catholic world worship. It sounds like the Catholic Church to me. You've got gods being worshipped with the hands of men. The Eucharist, as I say. You've got Diana, this great goddess of antiquity, who I preached this morning is a type of Mary in the Catholic Church. And this man, Demetrius, knows that if people listen to Paul's preaching, they're going to be out of business. Well, let's hope so. Look at 28, please. When they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Never criticize Mary. I remember years ago, listening to a Catholic uh, speaking about his beloved religion. And he said, you can criticize the Pope, you can criticize the church, but if you criticize Mary, you are anathema. You are finished. And that's a pretty honest description. In fact, I think most of the people that have been excommunicated from the Catholic Church over the last 50 years or so have been uh, kicked out primarily due to their criticism of Mary. On top of that, their criticism of papal infallibility. The Catholic Church doesn't care if you're a homosexual or a lesbian. The Catholic Church doesn't care if you worship in other churches, if you do this or if you do that. But the moment you criticize the Pope, and especially Mary, you are persona non grata. You are anathema. You are at risk of eternal damnation. 29. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed one accord into the theatre. That term theatre is still a term we use today. I'm going to the theatre to watch a movie. I'm going to the theatre to see a play. And it says how the entire city was filled with confusion. And they capture, they detained two of Paul's companions... And they rush with one accord into the theatre. They are wanting blood. This is a typical picture of religious hysteria. 30. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theatre. Paul, by some people, has been described as a suicidal maniac. I don't accept that term. I think it's somewhat... uh, unfair to describe him as such a person it is true that after he saw the third heaven he was in no rush to go back to earth and i guess when lazarus was resurrected he was probably in no rush to go back to the earth i guess after you've seen the lord in glory why would you want to go back to the earth i think it's fair to say around this time in actually apostles paul has been to the third heaven and back and yet paul's friends his associates are trying to stop him from going into the theater because it could have been suicidal to do so And yet Paul knew that he was hid in Christ with God. He knew that he was saved. He knew that he had overcome death uh, through his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's read on and try and pull these verses together. 32, please. Some therefore cried one thing and some another. For the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. You got confusion. You got this anticipation of pagan worship. Like we see Catholics doing in the Philippines. 33. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with a hand, and would have made his defence unto the people. It's like Muslims in Mecca. Just picture it for a moment, you've got probably thousands of people 
unsaved, of course, superstitious, Gentiles, wanting to silence Paul and co. Let's keep reading on, 34. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice, about the space of two hours, cried out, Greatest Diana of the Ephesians. It's like a rock concert. Some years ago I went to a rock concert, and a friend of mine had got some tickets, and I wasn't overly interested in this particular artist, but I went because it was a free ticket, and I watched people jumping up and down, some standing on their seats for two hours. And I read this scripture, I think to myself, it's the same sort of hysteria. See, people worship pop stars, rock stars, God, so on and so forth, when they should be worshipping the one true God. In fact, this past week, a very well-known celebrity has died, and the world has been mourning him. And on the same day of his death, a well-known preacher died, and the world didn't mention him whatsoever. The world loved their own, of course. The rock star died and went to hell, Luke 16. The preacher died and went to heaven, Luke 16. The preacher died was welcomed by Abraham and co. The pop star died and was welcomed by the devil and co. Let's keep reading on. 35. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshipper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Maybe a meteorite had fallen back in the day and they took that as a sign from the gods that something miraculous had happened but i'm going to continue to read these verses and offer some spiritual application application concerning mary you men of ephesus you people of rome what man or woman is there that knoweth not how that the vatican is that great city of mary a worshiper of our great goddess the mother of god and of the image which fell down from jupiter you see nothing new under the sun they're worshiping this diana from Ephesus, and the Catholics worship Mary from Rome. 36, seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. I love that. Nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Well, I speak against Mary, and I guess I am referred to as a blasphemer, but in reality, the Catholic Church are the blasphemers for worshipping Mary, that poor woman. She's been in glory for 2,000 years, and there are people praying to her all over the world. And she has no idea what they are saying or doing, and if she did, she'd be heartbroken. 38. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them plead one another. We have that today. We have courts in our countries. We have judicial systems in our countries. We have magistrates in our countries, and here... No doubt what we are reading would be as a result of Roman occupation. And it's fair to say that the British legal system is based on Roman occupation back in the day. On top of that, parts from the word of God as well. 38. But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. There being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. So 41 verses from Acts chapter 19. And as always, much material covered in a 30-minute broadcast. But just very briefly, if I was to wrap up what we read very quickly this morning, I would say this, that if you are saved, you are a child of God. And that doesn't mean you are immune from the devil's interest in you. He's very interested in religion. 
And if you are born again, he's very interested in you. He would buffet Paul. He would make Paul almost blind. He would take Job apart and he would kill Job's children. And I showed you how he used wind and fire and people to do so. And many times people have come against me. I've seen people who wanted to kill me. I was in Leeds two years ago, just arrived. And within 30 seconds of getting my tracks out, a guy came over to me and he started to curse me. And he was walking around me. He was walking behind me. He was whispering in my ear. He was an unclean spirit, no doubt about it. And I had a police officer about 30 yards in front of me. And I was deliberately trying to ignore this guy. And he was calling me names under the sun. He didn't know me, of course, but he had an unclean spirit in him. See, it goes back to 1915. Jesus I know. And Paul I know. James I know. But who are ye? And I walked over to this policeman. And eventually he got to the message and left me. A lady came over very briefly in one of those electric uh, wheelchairs. An elderly Christian woman. And she had seen what was happening. And she said to me, I'm a Christian. I commend you for remaining calm. And I thanked her for her words of concern. Off she went. So many times the devil will come at you through third parties. There's an account in the synoptics when the Lord is sleeping. This storm comes out of nowhere. This gale force wind, this tidal wave. It's a real full-blown storm. And the apostles wake him up and they say, Lord, we're perishing. And he stands up and he rebukes the wind and the sea. And of course the devil was behind that. The devil was trying to sink the boat and kill the apostles. And possibly even try to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we call the Lord's permissive will. The Lord, through his permissive will, allows the devil sometimes to strike and attack his children. Many times due to sin. Many times to get you back into fellowship with him. But if you're not saved, you shouldn't be messing with unclean spirits. And if you are saved, you shouldn't be messing with unclean spirits either. And uh, down the line I'm going to do a message on the difference between the Gospels and the Epistles. But a great multitude get saved. They come forth, they confess their sins to God. And as a result they burn their books, occult books, black magic books, white magic books, pornography, uh, concubine. It could be uh, based on today's vices. It could be... Uh, Instruments of music, it could be uh, televisions, it could be uh, makeup, whatever's an idol for you. This crowd burnt it, and you should burn it too if you're born again. The word of God was mighty, it prevailed, 20. Paul goes on to preach the gospel. He comes up against a man called Demetrius, a silversmith, who is making idols, statues. And he knows that if they don't stop Paul, if they don't kill Paul, they're out of business. They're going to go bust. And the Lord steps in, saves Paul once again. And as a result of his intervention, Paul's companions are set free. Paul is spared, incarceration. But along the way, there's almost a, a riot. For two hours, they're crying, Great is Dinah of the Ephesians. Great is Mary of the Roman Catholic Church. Great is Muhammad of the Islamic faith. Nothing new under the sun. The town clerk is trying to appease the people. He's trying to stop a riot. He's trying to stop the Romans coming along and holding him responsible. And he says, listen, you guys, we have a court system here. We're not some barbaric, primitive people. We have magistrates and judges, which we have in England, which we have in Europe and America and beyond. Bring your case to the courts. Let's hear what the problem is. Uh, 37, such men are not yet blasphemers of your goddess. And uh, Demetrius was able to uh, be silenced. And as a result, the legal system kicked in and the people were dismissed. Acts 19 verse 41. On top of that I showed you last week how 
Paul came across a group of individuals, religious, but not regenerated. And he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said to him, we haven't heard that there is a Holy Ghost. You know, who is the Holy Ghost? And he witnesses to them. He lays his hands on them. They get saved. And they speak in tongues. That was a complete, a completely unique event, only for Paul, uh, never to you. And after this chapter, from memory, I don't think we read about such an event ever occurring again. Because Acts of Apostles is a progressive book. So don't teach this as doctrine. But I'm out, I'm out of time for today's broadcast. And next week will be broadcast number 46. Week 46. And next week, Lord willing, we will start Acts chapter 20.